I'm Simon Burton and welcome to a midwinter edition of Arts Roundup, which finds artists in Cambridge exploiting the winter nights with light like never before. Auditions for film actors, takes a journey inside the human mind and creativity and finds a new venue offering music on a Sunday evening. In this edition, we preview Twilight at the Museums with Cambridge University's Susan Miller. Alessandro Cajano promotes her forthcoming Illuminate Festival of Light. Filmmaker Axel Bangert appeals for young actors for a short film project that could be the start of a career. We look at how art can greatly improve the life of people with autism with chartered psychologist Beverly Stefford. And Afternoon Teas Cafe gets set to host live music sessions on Sundays in King Street. Finding something really interesting for the kids to do in cold, bleak, penniless February can seem a test of patience at times, but hey people, you're living in Cambridge. Twilight at the Museums is set to open on the 19th of February and will provide a nighttime torch-lit bonanza of exciting adventure, exploration and discovery for kids in a dozen Cambridge University venues across the city, which attracted some 7,000 visitors on just one night last year. University of Cambridge Assistant Events Administrator Susan Miller previews the exciting goings-on that will leave kids completely spoilt for choice. Susan, um, the Fitzwilliam is, is getting ready to present, um, uh, well, seven museums all in all, um, a, a massive child-led event. Can you tell me what's happening? Well, it's, um, it, the Fitzwilliam Museum is um, one of many venues, there's 12 in total, um, who are all participating in this year's Twilight at the Museums event, which is um, an evening of amazing exploration for families across uh, museums and venues in Cambridge. Now, you're doing it at night for a special reason, aren't mm -hmm. you? Um, why is that? Oh. Well, um, uh, one of the, the reasons is it gives you a great opportunity to explore museums when they're normally closed to the public. Um, and at this time of year, with it being a bit darker, it adds to the sort of drama and excitement of the occasion. Now, now the theme is going to be um, light and dark, mm -hmm. um, and um, children are going to be asked to um, bring their own torches, aren't they? Because it's all going to happen in torchlight. Mm -hmm. oh. Well, um, it, there's a bit of a mixture. It's light and dark, so some of the museums will be well, have switched the lights out. Um, 
and you will need your, your torch to help guide you, guide you through. Um, other museums have other events going on that will actually need to take place in, uh, in light, uh, otherwise it'll be a bit of a health and safety. So there's a bit of a mixture going on. Uh, uh, you, you, I mean, you're creating, obviously, a, um, an exciting environment of um, exploration, adventure, discovery, um, and also lighting up some of the exhibits. Which of the exhibits are you going to be lighting up? Oh. Well, I believe that um, Sedgwick Museum are planning um, a light installation, which should be quite atmospheric given their, um, their dinosaurs and huge sort of Ice Age hippos that they've got. Um, and the Museum of Classical Archaeology will have some of their fabulous um, plaster cast models all lit up as well. Um, is this sort of connotations of, of Harry Potter? Um, mm -hmm. Because it's using these massively wonderful um, establishment buildings at night with mm -hmm. torches and lots of amazing things to see. It's a bit like Hogwarts, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is a bit. I think the idea is all about exploration and discovery. It's, an, uh, it's a way of connecting with museums and with the objects in museums and in an exciting and different way and allowing you to explore it using different senses. Now, um, obviously, playing around with light is going to be a big thing. You're going to be doing an enormous exterior projection, aren't you, onto the front of the museum? Yes, we have a huge illuminated globe, um, which is going to be outside the Museum of Classical Archaeology. Um, and it's going to be um, full of kind of pulsating, changing images. And there is the opportunity for you to have your own image mm. um, displayed across the globe. Um, obviously, um, um, playing with lights on, on Cambridge's buildings is becoming extremely popular now. With this, we're running up to the second year of the Illuminate um, Light Festival. Mm. Is this something that the museums are really going to take up and, and, and start using the outsides of the buildings much more? Um, I think it's a, um, it's, a, it's a really fantastic way of, of, um, of displaying what you have, the wealth of what you have in a different way. We are partnering with um, Illuminate this year as part of the Illuminate Festival and there'll be a cycle-powered cinema outside the, um, the Polar Museum, which should be fun. Um, okay, so um, you're obviously you're showing off, um, um, you've got lots of exhibits um, mm -hmm. to, to have a look in. Um, there are drop-in attractions um, at most of the museums. Can you give me a little bit of, um, in a nutshell, um, what's on at each one? Um, the Fitz, first of all. Um, the Fitzwilliam Museum are having um, two theatre performances which are bookable um, and in addition to that there'll be the opportunity to explore the, the museum galleries after hours. Um, so there is a torchlit tour through the glass houses um, of the Botanic Gardens and you'll be finding out about how plants are masters of trickery in disguise. Um, uh, any triffids in there? Or? <laughs> let's keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> Classical archaeology have a torchlit tour through their galleries um, and you're going to be seeing the, the statues come to life and I think there's a bit of a, um, a, a competition for you to, to, to get involved with in the museum. Uh, the Farmland Museum um, at Denny Abbey are going to be doing all sorts of activities related to, to darkness and light. Um, Polar Museum, um, I've got a fantastic film um, all about um, ice and the sounds and sights of ice. Um, the Sedwick Museum are going to be doing um, a mystery trail through their gallery, all in torchlight. The Science Centre, Cambridge Science Centre, um, have got all sorts of experiments to try out about um, perception and how your senses can trick your brain. 
Um, um, and then there's venturing into the solar system as well. It's another thing happening at the Whipple, isn't that right? There is. <laughs> so, well, people aren't going to be focusing on the, the solar system this year. This year they're going to be um, exploring their um, models of, of bugs and natural science, which should be fun. Um, the Museum of Technology have an amazing photography workshop, um, so they're inviting people to bring along their own camera and to uh, make contrasting images of the fantastic collection that they have there. Um, now, you're also running things like, I mean, how, how many kids are you expecting to turn out for this event and, and how, how long is it going on for? Um, well, how long is a piece of string? Last year we welcomed over 7,000 visitors and this year we've got an extra hour, so we're open until 8.30, so we're hoping that that little bit extra time which will encourage more people to come and visit. And like, you're doing events like Explorer Bingo which is mm -hmm. where you have to go and find something in the museum um, in the torchlight which sounds incredibly exciting if you're small um, and that will involve things like um, some 500 year old potatoes. Where's that happening? That's oh. at the Museum of um, Archaeology and Anthropology. They have a fantastically diverse and eclectic collection and it should be great fun mm. trying to find some of their most unusual exhibits. Uh, and those include grizzly bears, um, a Roman mouse. What, what, what's the Roman mouse? What mm. I think across the 12 venues, there are hundreds of thousands of um, mm. exhibits in the collection. So there is an absolute wealth of diversity to find out about. What I'd like to say is it's a great opportunity to try and visit more than one museum. A lot of people have their old favourites, um, but it's a great opportunity to try out something new for the night. So what I would do is get the most out of your night, see how many places you can visit. Great stuff. Um, Susan Miller, thank you very much indeed for, for telling Cambridge 105 about uh, Twilight at the Museum. It sounds like a brilliant event coming up. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. Thank, thank you, you very much. It's not just children that are having endless fun with light shows next month either. As I found out from Alexandra Kajano, founder and organiser of the forthcoming Illuminate Festival of Light, local artists are doing it spectacularly too. Alessandra's cool concept was to bring artistic Italian flair and sophistication with light shows from Turin's major landmarks to Cambridge by exploiting the architectural heritage in new ways with artistic light shows that also demonstrate the emerging light technologies Cambridge is spawning. She dropped into Cambridge 105 to preview the second Illuminate Festival of Light after she successfully persuaded technology firms, the City Council and numerous sponsors to take it up seriously last year, demonstrating solar cars, glass energy saving technology and artwork with light effects on city centre buildings. The idea has taken hold and won funding and is changing the midwinter skyline with light. And her Herculean effort as an outsider to bring the change upon us is really raising eyebrows.
Following on from talking about children having amazing adventures in, in Cambridge's museums with um, torches and torchlit ex- um, exhibits, the projection, which is going to be um, on the outside of the museum, was actually arranged by the Illuminate Festival of Light. And here with me is um, Alessandro Cajano, um, who is an organiser of that festival, um, which was launched last year um, and is about to be uh, is about to have its second series um, running from the 12th of February. Um, Alessandra, how are you? Hi, very well. Thanks for the invite. Um, last year's festival, how successful was the Illuminate Festival of Light? Because it, it aroused a huge amount of interest from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, has it actually now um, grown in or evolved from what happened last year? Very much so, mm. Simon, very mm. much so. Uh, last year we started really small. Um, so we had over five days, six installations in the city centre. And uh, we, we tried our best with uh, with the marketing effort and in turnout we we got a really impressive uh, amount of people seeing this, the installations and talking about it. And this year has been fantastic. We've got, we've got many, many more partnerships. I just mentioned, obviously, Twilight at the museum mm. and the University of Cambridge museums have been fantastic in, in supporting the project and helping us uh, with you know taking it forward for 2014. Um, it was originally your idea, wasn't it? Because um, using wonderful architecture with light shows and things is something that happens a lot in Italy. Um, and um, so uh, basically you, you suggested it, didn't you, in the first place to mm-hmm. um, par- partners on uh, who are dealing with light technology on the science park and so on and so forth, to the city council, to the university, and they picked it up for the first time last year. Um, and you had some very interesting things there. You had um, a greenhouse with um, energy generating glass. You had... Um, the World Eco Challenge um, solar car and one or two other exhibits. Can you tell me about what happened last year um, and, and what's going to be coming up in this year's festival? Of course. Mm. Uh, so last year we had, um, as I said, six uh, main installations mm. and uh, the idea of the festival, mm. uh, as you know, is to bring together to connect the mm. arts and technology, in particular looking at the sustainable side of uh, technology mm. and energy efficiency. Um, innovation. So two of the installations you mentioned mm. were the uh, polysolar greenhouse mm. which was an artwork put together by Susie Olksak and uh, placed in the Senate House mm. and it was absolutely stunning and uh, it really um, the concept of the whole festival could be represented by, by the piece alone because it really um, the light coming from the the sun activates where it's collected rather in mm. the um, in this uh, um, glass it's filtered by the glass and collected and and then released in the um, lighting installations that Susie put together and it was um, there was also another part of it mm. which connected and lit up the the beautiful tree that mm. is just of the uh, King's College Chapel so it was a a, a real complete su- cycle if you want of mm. uh, of life and it was um, so who are the partners this year and have you secured um, better funding and better projects for this year Better than last year mm-hmm. is much bigger than last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these type of projects uh, always do with more funding, mm-hmm. as we all know. Uh, but the, the support this year has been amazing and so many more partners have come on board. Uh, for example, I'd like to mention Mobas, who's doing um, our PR. Yeah. And uh, I would like to mention uh, our main uh, technology sponsor Panasonic who's uh, come on board and uh, helped us with uh, a number of installations and projections so that's very exciting but also um, local uh, mm. venues such as uh, the Grand Arcade um, are going to host 
the mm. launch event, the open ceremony, and uh, Angel Lewis. That'd be absolutely fantastic. There are going to be so many things happening there. So watch this space. So, so what are going to be the highlight attractions this time around? Uh. It's really hard to say. There is so much going on. Mm. The festival goes over um, 11 days, starts on the 12th mm. of February, goes on until the 23rd. The uh, key night, I would say, is the opening ceremony mm. and the Grand Arcade. Um, and, and, and is there something special that's under wraps for that? Or, or do you, can you oh, tell us what it's going to be? I can't tell you. you it would be a surprise me. otherwise. I, I know <laughs> that you personally, yourself, have put in a massive amount of work um, into bringing this uh, Italian sophistication to <laughs> Cambridge's streets. Um, and um, although it wasn't a very big festival last year, it had a huge amount of interest and support. And this year it's going to be bigger and more impressive. Um, you're, you're kind of hoping that this is going to become an integral part of the art scene in Cambridge, aren't you? Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, it will be great and I think it will be immensely beneficial to us all because mm -hmm. the project really uh, works across different sectors and mm -hmm. different parts of the community. So we really want to integrate mm. um, you know, different parts of the city. Mm. And at the moment, due to obviously restricted resources, we can only concentrate in city centre. But the vision ultimately is to have a city-wide event where each ward can really collaborate mm. and create their own lighting installation. So, um, are there, In terms of the technology that's being employed, are there anything at the moment that you can actually buy as a gadget or enhancement for your home or for projecting things on the outside of your home if you wanted to do that? Is that something that you can do? Uh, there's plenty of uh, things and this is part of uh, the uh, message mm. behind the festival is really trying to understand that uh, this technology it, it can be um, so stunning visually mm. and uh, can be very interactive mm. in a number of things, but can actually be the things that you use in your own home. Mm. And um, there are a number of mm. uh, places in the workshops and the talks mm. it, during the work, the, um, the festival rather, uh, where you can find out a little bit more information about it. And obviously, um, messing around with light is an endlessly fascinating um, <laughs> occupation. All these children, I mean, last year, 7,000 children took part in the um, toilet at the museum's yes. thing. Um, and, you know, it's playing with torches, playing with light. Lighting effects, um, a, a dash of the Harry Potter involved. But then when the grown-ups get involved with it, like mm -hmm. you as well, um, using this technology, it becomes something that just becomes, um, involves um, everybody in these um, incredibly striking ways. I mean, you did the outside of Great St Mary's yeah. Church um, last time. You, you've got the Fitzwilliam Museum um, with huge project projections coming up there. Um, are there going to be other buildings that weren't featured last year that are going to be lit up? Um, there is going to be much more, yes. Mm. The, the programme has uh, expanded. Again, uh, we're talking about city centre, okay. but yes, there are many more venues and mm. we'll release the programme shortly. Darcy, I would say the first step is to go onto the website. Mm. So um, yeah. the, the website is www.e-luminatefestival.co.uk. Quite a long name, mm. <laughs> but just by putting here, I've Illuminate Festival should come up, and um, we'll we'll have the full program in um, at the beginning of next week. Uh, we're also sending out newsletter um, this week, so there's plenty of information out there. We're going to release next week as well an app, uh, which is very very exciting, and we'll have a number of um, also um, um, programs around the city centre in key places for people to to pick up. Just it'll be great. Great to see you all in the Grand Arcade for the 12th of February. It's going to be a memorable, absolutely spectacular evening. You're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105.
becoming a celebrated actor is pretty high on the wish list of many young people in the city, alongside winning the National Lottery or having the latest impressive duds and cyber lifestyle accessories. Well, if you really want to do it in celluloid, you have to start somewhere, and an opportunity is being offered to 105 listeners to audition for four parts in a short film about to be shot on Cambridge's streets. Filmmaker Axel Bangert, who's making a film called Frame, says it's a chance to see what it's like working as an artist with a professional film crew. Well, I originally came to Cambridge to do a PhD on cinema. Hmm. Um, And in the course of that, I realized that um, it somehow wasn't enough to write about film. I always Hmm. wanted to also know what film is like from the inside. Hmm. So with a couple of friends, um, I teamed up and we made a short film which we shot in Long Stanton, just outside Cambridge. And ever since then, I guess I've been hooked. Um, what was that film about, and who are the people who you're doing the shooting with? Um, the first film was called Breaking Sugar. It was actually based on a short story by A.L. Kennedy. Mm. Um, so it was not an original script of mine. Mm. Um, the project I'm doing now, which is called Framed, is actually something I've written. Um, and yeah, which I've written with Cambridge in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me a bit of a synopsis of the story? What's it about? Sure. So the film um, is meant to be set in the Newmarket Road, Grafton Centre area. So maybe right. a part of Cambridge that one doesn't see that often, mm. um, that much. And um, the film is about a um, young woman who works in a clothes store and who is um, mugged one night on her way home by two teenage boys. Um, So they steal her money. um, And then later on, when she has to walk home, because she doesn't have money for the bus, she Mm. catches one of the two boys, the little one, but he doesn't have her money. Mm. And um, she also notices that he has a small wound on his thigh. Mm. So she's asking herself if maybe the... Uh, little boy was a victim um, of the older one just like her Mm. and then in the solution of the film which I'm not sure if I should give it away now or not (laughs) don't give the the solution away (laughs) so it's a short film how long would it be in fact oh I think it would not be longer than 10 minutes That's I really minute. try yeah. to keep it brief mm. yeah um, and you've come here today because in fact what you're looking for is some actors uh, for the film can you tell me about the roles that they who you need and, and and what roles will they be fulfilling yeah so it's basically the three parts I was mentioning mm. so um, I'm looking to fill um, the part of the protagonist mm. um, a girl with a playing age of around 25 mm. Um, but there's some flexibility in that. And then the two teenage boys. So there I'm thinking of playing ages of 16 and 19 years respectively. Um, although, again, there's some flexibility. If there's someone who is maybe 18 but l- looks slightly younger or can be made to look slightly younger, that's perfectly fine. And who are the film crew? Because they're going to get a chance to see how they work, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm talking to a couple of filmmakers I know I know um, in Cambridge in the area, so I'm hoping to keep that quite local as well. Mm-hmm. Um, although I haven't put everything into place yet. Um, and there's there's lots of um, young people in Cambridge who want to get um, involved in in acting. It's, it's it can be the beginning of a dream to get involved in a film. Um, it can be a great beginning. It's a chance also, isn't it, to see how people uh, um, uh, work on a film set. Um, I mean, how many films have you made in total so far? Mm, it's hard to say maybe four or five Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one of which was a music video so Mm -hmm. not really a narrative Mm -hmm. short film Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. 
Um, if your film is a success, will you be looking for funding to, to go on to the next project? Or That would be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to um, establish more working relationships yes. also through this yeah. project. Yeah. And if based on that I could do another community project, that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. What are the specific skills that some people can actually learn um, on a project like this? Yeah, I think, first of all, it's really interesting for everybody to see how a film, something audiovisual, is made. I think it really changes the way one, I don't know, watches telly or goes to um, the cinema. Uh, you see how long it actually takes to uh, get a shot right, to shoot a scene and then put it all together. All the manpower that you never see on screen, but that's constantly around and behind it. So I think that's really worthwhile. Um, but I think acting is also really good for confidence building, um, especially in film where you sometimes need to repeat takes a lot and you need to stay really calm and you need to just feel well inside the team you're working with and, and get the job done. And usually it works out. So um, mm. Mm. in the end, I guess uh, everybody's happy. Um, is it a question of the more you do, the more experience you have, the more useful you are for the next project? Yeah, yeah I guess experience is important, but you know, there are lots of great uh, first time performances also in cinema mm. history. Mm. You know, there are mm. lots of amazing films where actually mm. the main actress or the main actor had never acted before and mm. was just well cast mm. and it all came together. Well, do they need know. to have acting experience to do this or can not they be complete novices? Not necessarily, mm -hmm. no. I'm really interested in people who have some enthusiasm for the project and who'd like to find out about it, who are curious. Mm. Okay, so um, if you're out there, you're, you're young, there are four parts going, aren't there? Uh, yeah, yeah. I have a small part. I didn't mention that yet. In the uh, clothes shop, there yeah. also works another girl, so the yeah. colleague of the protagonist. That would yeah. be another role to fill. Um, and you're looking for the, the age group between you need a young boy, an older boy, mm -hmm. um, the woman who's 25, yeah. and someone who works in the shop. So there's there's four parts. Uh, yeah. Age group between 17 and 25, presumably. Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. Uh, and how can they get in touch with you? Well, it's best to email me, I guess. Yeah. Um, my email address is ab534 at cam.ac.uk. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess they could also always get in touch with you and then you would link us up. Yeah, yeah um, we can do that. You can get in touch with uh, Cambridge 105 um, to Simon at Cambridge 105 FM. Um, and when will the film actually be screened? Um, is that going to be part of the film festival or something like that? <laughs> well, if we get accepted. Uh, no, I'd love uh, to do that, obviously. Hmm. Um, and I'd like to submit uh, the film to various uh, festivals oh. once yeah. it's done. I'm hoping to finish it, um, I guess, in April. Hmm. Post-production takes a bit of time, mm. so I think that would be realistic. And one could have, you know, a private premiere mm. with mm. those involved and mm. then show it another venue. It's a great opportunity here to get involved in local filmmaking. Um, Axel, thank you very much indeed for telling 105 about it. Thanks to you, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to anyone who might be interested in taking part. April in Paris Chestnuts in blossom Holiday tables Under the trees April in Paris This is a feeling 
Many of us are fascinated by the mystery of where creativity arises from in the human brain and psyche, and it's been the subject of many scientific studies. The aesthetics of appreciating art in the mind are different for each and every one of us and determine our artistic preferences. It's been shown that people who lose frontal lobe activity in the brain, albeit just temporarily, can later develop better artistic skills. It's an area that scientists and doctors examine closely in people with common disorders, which give intriguing neurological clues when the subject experiences or participates in different types of art. Dr Beverly Stefford is a chartered psychologist and expert on neuroaesthetics and has written on the neurology of art. She works with children with attention deficit syndrome, dyslexia, dyspraxia and autism. Here she talks about her work. Beverly, give us a quick introduction to neuroaesthetics. This was the subject of a series of wreath lectures by Ramachandran some years ago. It's the brain's ability to recognise, in the visual arts at least, shape and form and colour, illumination and movement. And we all have parts of the visual cortex devoted to a particular thing. We don't see everything as a whole. We first of all see the shape, the outline, then we notice the texture and so forth, whether it moves and so forth. And so once we have a part of the brain that might emphasize, let's say, form over color, then you would like the type of art, for instance, Mondrian, who looks at form rather than color. Or if you're part of the brain, 
that you emphasise over the, throughout the visual cortex is more enhanced in the colour area. Then, of course, you like the impressionist and so forth. So the idea is different parts of the brain emphasise different aspects of the world and if that part of the world is an art that emphasises form, like Mondrian, or colour, like the Impressionists, and so forth, then you'll prefer that type of art. And if you're an artist, you'll prefer that sort of art. Basically, that's what neuroaesthetics is. Once you prefer a certain uh, form, colour, or, or whatever, it gives you pleasure to look at it. And then that's how that's linked to the brain's dopamine systems, reward systems. It's a neurochemical. And Ramachandran says this comes from a basic biological propensity to like things that are good for us. And he gives a wonderful example of herring gold checks. Now, many years ago, uh, Tim Bergen, a neurologist, no, ethologist, found that baby checks like to peck at their mother's uh, beak, as a red spot on the mother's beak, which would stimulate the check to open their beak and regurgitate the food for the babies. Fine. That's natural. That's what's called a fixed action pattern, and that's how the chicks get their food. But um, Tim Bergen would get bits of red dots for paper, cardboard, or and various things, and find that the chicks would peck at those too. So they didn't know the difference between the real mother. All they had was a stimuli inside their brain that said, peck at red dots, especially if they're on yellow... Um, things, strips. So he imagined that if these um, herring gold chicks ever had an art gallery, what they would put in it would be pictures of long models of long yellow beak-like things and lots of red spots. So that's, okay, that is the idea of neuroaesthetics. We have a free song in the brain when we see something that stimulates our reward system, the dopamine hit. And that's the whole idea of how different types of art are liked by different types of brain organisation. Um, and obviously that, that, that um, fuels your study of um, people with these conditions and what's actually happening. Yes, I have linked that mm -hmm. to learning styles and learning preferences, okay. yes. It, it seems quite obvious mm. to me. <laughs> this is a sequel to our series. Um, last time we talked about um, uh, dyslexia and art, and today we're here to talk about um, autism. Um, so, um, I mean, um, Beverly, I, I've just been looking at um, a very interesting website called um, Create Art for Autism. Um, oh, looking at some mm -hmm. of the um, fantastic, it's a national competition campaign which was mm -hmm. launched last year to prove that art significantly improves the quality of life for autistic people. Well, and also, it does for anyone, doesn't it? It's for, for anyone, but particularly helps facilitate uh, experimental based learning and um, instills lifelong skills. So there's a very strong link between the benefits of art and treating autism. Yes, yeah, so I think a very good example <laughs> would be the famous um, autistic artist Patrick. Yeah. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, no, I haven't. He, no, had, no. he could glance at a building just a few seconds mm. and do a detailed representation right down to the last window catch. Oh. Just a few seconds. Of course, there was some early criticism. It was just like a photograph. Mm. It's not really art and that sort of thing. But as he went on to do that, he developed more symbolic associations with buildings. And of course, that went with his general improved mm. cognitive capacity. Um, uh, obviously, um, autistics. I mean, there, there there are lots of things. I mean, obviously, we talked last time about um, dyslexics mm. and how um, dyslexics can actually have an advantage in in the spatial learning part That's of their brain, which can case, translate yes. um, into producing better 
better artwork for well, things like design and a different types mm-hmm. of artwork, mm-hmm. uh, multi-dimensional things. Mm-hmm. They can pick up patterns, so mm-hmm. uh, they tend to be good at sculpture. Mm-hmm. And the multi-dimensional sort of pictures mm-hmm. where space and shape mm-hmm. is important. Um, and with people with autism, dealing in minute detail seems to be something that they can Absolutely. do very well. Absolutely. Um, what exactly is autism? Um, it's defined mm-hmm. as a social communication disorder. Yeah. And, of course, there are degrees. So the general high-functioning autistic, usually described as Asperger's, they're fine. Um, They go to school, they do anything like anyone else, with the exception they don't generally have friends. They don't have the give and take of conversation. They're quite naive children. Uh, They're thinking and their communication is a little bit black and white, so they miss all the subtleties. And you see that in the art. They go for detail. They have all the raw sensory data that comes in through mm. the brain, they get hung up on mm. and can produce very detailed pictures. And sometimes, certainly in forensic art and that sort of thing, I can imagine they would be much better than anybody else. Mm. But you can't compare that type of art mm. with, let's say, the more broader sweep of the um, dyslexic child or the colour and mm. the, the sort of impressionist-type painting that ADHD children mm. tend to like more. Mm. So that was the original it, point. Is the neurology of the brain of someone who has autism um, different in the same way that it is in dyslexia yes, um, yes. from a normal brain? So they have, um, they, they, it's not um, that they actually see patterns, colours and shapes differently well, from a normal person. Well, they over-perceive. The raw sensory data come in, stays in mm. their perception mm. and doesn't move forward to the cortex mm. to be interpreted in the way that a normal mm. person, mm. well, let's say a neurotypical person mm. would, mm-hmm. um, whereas the dyslexic, on the other hand, tends to have more long-range connections between all areas of the brain, so can bring in experience, memory, uh, thoughts, theories and so forth to have a much more subtle, mm. symbolic, abstract type of mm. art mm-hmm. or even thinking. Um, is, is, is it about um, the way that you actually use the visual cortex in your mind? Um, because um, obviously dyslexics have a problem with with language, and mm. so they they use the visual cortex in order to plug the meaning gap. Well, there's a big that. debate <laughs> about this um, <laughs> because your linguistic ability is mostly left hemisphere mm-hmm. mediated, mm. uh, um, well, less active. Does that mean your leading edge is mm. how you mm. visualise things? Mm. That may be the case. It mm. may be that genetics have meant that they're much better at that in the first mm. place anyway, mm-hmm. to put up right hemisphere skills. You know, the, the jury's still out on that. Mm. Actually, the jury's still out on all these learning difficulties. Mm-hmm. Are they just things that are maturational lags that can be overcome with experience, mm. but because it's a bit difficult for this type of thing rather than that type mm. of thing, they don't have mm. that this experience they need? Mm. Um, I don't know. No, I think autism is really quite a different case mm. really autistic severely autistic children are very damaged they they certainly couldn't go to mainstream school mm-hmm. they spend their days looking at detail sort of like spinning wheels mm. and so forth things that have no productive purpose mm. whereas the more higher functioning autistic mm. child or person mm. will do, use that same mm. type of ability to, to see detail mm. in a better way Talking about the the, the, the fabulous, um, I mean, for the um, the, the 
great art for autism website there are mm. something like mm. 812 entries um of um, artwork by people with autism from last year's um competition yes, um, and if you work. have a look through those mm. paintings yeah. they are some of them are absolutely superb yes. um and they they're everything from portraits to drawings to landscapes to mm. how um, many portraits w would you judge um, there were there were a good of, of fair, faces, yeah, faces of mm. good fair few, right. um, and they had obviously experimented with um, art that they'd been looking at. Um, mm. Whether these were sort of things that were drawn from Picasso or so on and so forth, they they tried to employ those um, in in mm. the images on their faces. Right. So, um, and you're looking at this wonderfully colourful work, this wonderfully varied work, and also um, a, you know of a very high standard as well. Um, and it's amazing actually um, that that the ability that they displayed was quite quite remarkable. I can imagine that's very therapeutic. And may I ask you about portraits because the one thing I wouldn't imagine mm. an autistic mm. artist mm. to be able to do well would be faces. Mm. It seems in brain imaging studies, the part of the brain that recognises mm. faces is not active mm. so much. In I mean, art involves multiple interpretations. And obviously there's there's really no rules as to um, how you see the world if you're going to put yes, it on, right. into a piece mm. of, yes, of right. art. And, and being able to express yourself with that must be quite important, um, especially if you're a person who has, has very... very a lot of difficulty in interacting with other human beings. Yes. Um, so yes. it's like another language, yes. isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Um, if people wanted to um, take some advice from you um, on this kind of thing, um, can they get in touch with you? Yes, of course. Mm. Uh, my website's learningrecovery.go.uk. Mm. Um, and then I, I mentioned doing quantum brain maps. That's um, mm. www.qeeg.co.uk. Mm. Dr. Beverly Stefford, thank you very much indeed for coming in and talking oh, to Cambridge 105. And we will do um, a sequel to this um, on attention deficit syndrome in, at some point in the yes. future. Yeah, at art. Right. Yeah. And the whole concept of neuroaesthetics. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. <laughs> okay. okay, thank you. You're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105. It couldn't go wrong Not for long I can see the way this ends He's going to turn me down And say can't we be friends Never again Through with love Through with men They play their game Without shame And who's to blame Thought I'd found a man I could trust What a bust This is how the story ends He's gonna turn me down And say can't we be friends Yes, I thought I knew The wheat from the chef What a laugh This is how the story ends I'll let her turn me down Say, can't we be friends? Papa, that day I acted like a kid out of school. What a fool. Now, 
see this is the end. I let her turn me down. Say, can't we be friends? Oh, why should I care? Though she gave me the air. Why should I cry, have a sigh, and wonder why? Yes, I should have seen the single stop. What a flop, this is how the story ends. She's gonna turn me down, say, can we be friends? I've noticed a fair few pubs, cafes and eateries popping up to venture something new in the city just recently. Among them, posited next to the art supplies shop in King Street is Afternoon Teas, a stylish modern cafe that's now offering live music in a bid to end dull and uneventful Sunday evenings with some good cheer. Owner Joe Kraskinska, a former freelance illustrator, says come and enjoy some company and atmosphere. What was the core idea behind Afternoon Teas? Um, I've been dreaming it up for seven years yeah. now. Um, really just wanted to bring something new to Cambridge. That There's a lot of really exciting places happening around England, in London especially, and I've been to a lot of them, uh, and, just, and especially in Australia as well, New yeah. Zealand. I wanted to bring that cafe culture to Cambridge, really, so that's where it came from. We offer breakfast every day, and then every lunchtime we offer three different sandwiches, soup options, which we hand-make here on site, um, and then cakes, obviously, lots of cakes. Um, it's great to see a variety of new ideas coming to Cambridge's streets, but you're actually going to be offering live music quite soon. Yeah, we've already done our first, first Sunday session. It's actually more than just a music night. I, you know, there's a lot of new music nights happening around Cambridge, especially like hot numbers are really leading the way with that, which is really exciting. Um, what I wanted to do with the Sunday session is kill the Sunday night blues. I used to get them really badly when I worked in an office. I hate Sunday nights. You've already written off your weekend. You need, you know, you're having a sulk about having to go back to work. And the idea is to bridge that uh, Sunday night gap between five and nine. Uh, with offering some live music, good atmosphere, a few beers, and you know, and, and friends, and kind of just make more of any more of an event of Sunday, really. Um, okay. Um, so, um, who is coming up next in the music um, agenda? So, on the second of February, Will Robert, 
mm-hmm. very very talented Cambridge musician yeah. uh, you may have seen him busking uh, he busks on King's Parade quite yeah. a lot yeah. he's amazing yeah so I'm really really looking forward to having him here on the second uh, we'll be offering some food and wine and beer and just and Will will be playing but just really encouraging people to drop in and drop out between five and nine mm-hmm. uh, come and see what's going on It's time to take a look at a pick of what's coming up in the city in the next few weeks. But if you're listening to the rerun of the programme, some of this may be out of date. Marlowe's classic Dr Faustus, a story of a man who makes a pact with the devil for occult knowledge, opens at the Arts Theatre on January the 29th. On February the 14th, Kettle's Yard Gallery opens Art and Life in 1920-1921, featuring work by Ben Nicholson, Wilfred Nicholson, Christopher Wood, Alfred Wallace and William State Murray. Wising Art Centre in Bourne celebrates its 25th anniversary with a group exhibition, Annals of the 29th Century, which kicks off on the 16th of February and runs till the end of March. It features a combination of newly commissioned work from 2013 and also takes the writing of Gustav Metzger as a starting point and steals its name from the novel of science fiction writer Andrew Blair. Agatha Christie's Black Coffee opens at the Arts Theatre on January the 20th, and promises murder most foul of eccentric inventor Sir Claude Amory at a country house, and actor Robert Powell as Hercule Poirot investigates. Coming up at the junction on January the 31st, Hal Crittenden of Have I Got News For You fame does his stand-up comic show. Make sure to buy tickets early, he's often the sellout. The Royal Philharmonic Orchestra presents an evening of 1920s music at the Corn Exchange on January the 30th. Conductor David Charles Abel leads an orchestra playing Gershwin, Copland and Bernstein classics, joined by virtuoso pianist Freddie Kempf. On Wednesday the 26th of February, West Road Concert Hall hosts Tognetti Directs Vivaldi Bach and the World's Finest Orchestra, featuring a pre-concert talk with violinist Richard Tognetti of the Australian Chamber Orchestra. And that brings us to the end of this programme, and I hope you've enjoyed listening in to the Art Dimension with Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105.
don't know You ain't never been blue Till you've had that mood and they go That feeling goes stealing down to my shoes While I just sit here and sigh Go long blues I always get that mood in the go Since my baby said goodbye And in the evening when the lights are low I'm so lonely I could cry For there's nobody who cares about me I'm just a poor fool that's bluer than blue can be When I get that mood in the go I could lay me down and die Sigh. 